I was a little bit troubled in the spirit last night, and so I think you do. I want to see these people. I actually had a couple of things before I could go this way, go this way. I'll be both wrong. Where do you want to go tomorrow? And uh, I had a message. Um, you know, one of these things, I don't know if this happens to all of you, get something already and think that's pretty good. And you carry it around in your bag for months waiting for the place to speak it. And every time you think that's it, and you've got some kind of thing over that for a while. But um, that's one of those. You know, and, and I, I, I don't get to use notes very often. Right? God just does this little funny, we did it like his little personal jump with me. You know, um, and my notes are a little less, I get to use them. <laughs> now I write sometimes and I put something on an email or I'll it to people and he lets me use it. I said, in the pocket lock on two months, I just turn me on time and say, I don't know what you're talking to do. Let's do this. I thought it was one of those, so I, I, I like to uh, remember a long time ago. Um, I, I can still vividly remember as a Southern Baptist campaign minister, and everything had to be real tight in my church. I remember getting up from the city and some of the young men asking, How do you prepare? Are you getting ready to skip to the next day? And, you know, everybody's all ready. I'll hear the Lord that night, but he doesn't mess with me up. 
I just think he's good. He's good. He's good. He's good. He's my kind of guy. He doesn't want to take you guys down. I just think he's good. Can I fix that tomorrow? You know, I'm just like, he's good. I just want y'all to know how this kind of things I have. Well, I had some hallmarks in my life. Um, and I'm not going to talk about myself very much, but you have to understand uh, because of our time, I can't get into details on uh, the 20 years that we have to this spot. But some highlights there's uh, some things that happened to me periodically as I've grown in the Lord that became the heavy points that God never lets me get very far from. You know, it's always everything held on those moments. Because you have a house, you lay a foundation first, and if you're a good builder, you can build the house on the foundation. <laughs> so, one thing I want to think about for just a moment is what are the moments that have happened in your life if somebody said to you, where's the turning point? What's the major thing that no matter what you do, no matter where you go, no matter what you say, God always takes you back to that. You know, that part is you. It's who you are in a real nutshell. You know, for me, I, I heard the Lord's voice when I was two years old. And yeah, I used to be able to say that. When I was in danger, began thinking, I never said that. Because it makes people think you're real special, and I'm not. I was looking for him two years old. I was just kind of thinking about her being typical two years old. You know, my mom wasn't very cool. My brother was probably looking for the next guy to eat with. When you hear God's voice, and you know it's not. You know, I, I didn't say who are you, but I knew that there's something about God when He reveals Himself. No matter how carnal or how lost you are, everyone says, Lord. Do you, you know what I mean? Now, if you hear voices, it's not always Him. But if it's Him, let me tell you something. There's no problem figuring out the fact that He is. Because when He's revealing Himself, it's not just a statement. It's always Him, His presence, His power, His anointing, who He is. Every little thing that Jesus says has so much more in it because He never gives a statement without Himself in it. He never shows up without bringing all of who He is in the room, you know. One of the things I want you to, to consider for a moment is those foundational moments in your life when God revealed himself to you in some way. Most of the time we can define them with words in our own language. But we sometimes leave his presence out of those because it becomes a moment we remember instead of a person we remember at that place. So when I heard his voice, it was him. Not what he said, but changed me. Getting up and going in the house and knowing that there really is a God, there really is a creator, I'm something that he's made, and he he knows my name already, and I've never spoken to him like that. There's a massive amount of revelation in that for God. 
I mean, you, you, nobody could ever convince me that God didn't exist. Nobody could ever tell me that he's not what he's like when they get more confident, but I do know Jesus as a young baby. No. You take a child from his mother's arms and try to tell him, that's not your mother. He's been on the breast of that woman. No. If you say to a young man, that's not right, and he's experienced it, it's hard to take out of you unless you have experienced it. You know? So, problem, the problem in church right now is we've got a lot of doctrine, and we've got a lot of things that we think, and we've got a lot of opinions, but most of them don't rest on the foundation of who Jesus is. They rest on what we think. Instead of who he is. And when we, when we present what we think to the world, they scratch their heads and sometimes argue with us. But if they present who he is, there's no argument. Because he steps into the room when you do that. So evangelism has the capability of being so full of power it's frightening. But we try to evangelize sometimes with arguments and with opinions and with methodologies and with events. Instead of just saying, Jesus, where are you going to that night and with you? And I still remember as a little baby, at that same age, two things that happened to me within a few days. Jesus saying, Timothy, and my grandfather calling me by the same name and saying, you want an ice cream? And then taking me by the hand and leading me across the street and buying me an ice cream. And knowing God that way was like, whatever you maybe you're going to go do tonight, just take you by the hand and let's go do it. But I made that to hell in my life two years ago. He's become the foundational aspect of who I am. You know? Um, there's a lot of things that Gary says, everything he talks to you about, you know, it's true. But there's a lot of stuff that you begin to know somebody you don't know, and you don't know them. So what do you think about how many of you are saved? You know you're saved. You know, probably anybody in the room, I hope. If not, you can fix that. But now, how many of you really know Jesus? How do you know Him? The difference. To believe in Him is one thing. To know Him is a whole other thing. I mean, I believe my life is this, but I still have to say I do and get into the same place. And it took me about 20 years to get to know her. I'm not sure I'm going to We've been married almost 25 years, and really, I'm honest with you, it was really about 20 years before I finally said, I, I understand you now, you know. And I suppose she had me to get out after a month or two. <laughs> but I can say to somebody something about my life now, and it's not my opinion, it's not what I think, it's not because I thought I possibly thought she was really pretty, it's because I know and if I say it, I understand. And that's how Jesus wants to be presented to the world. Now, he gave us some uh, ability to do some things. I want to take you to the 
word and tell you how we're headed with this. Uh, how many of you like evangelizing? Sure enough, it took me a few years because I found seven different baptisms in the scriptures. And uh, we understand now pretty much across the world that something about the water baptism is something about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But how many of you have ever heard of something about the baptism into the glory? Or the baptism into uh, the name? Those are just as relevant as the other two. So what I want you to do, I want you to separate one teaching for the rest of the morning. I want you to separate your doctrine and everything you know. You know, I'm not saying it's wrong. You separate what you think you know from who Jesus really is in your life. And you listen to me from that spot, from that foundation spot. I wanted to say you know him. So listen as if he's the one talking to you. Uh, if you will, let me get to you and forgive me for that. But I want you to pay attention to something that I think is going to radically shift in the city if you'll hear it. Okay? you got to hear it from him, not from me. Okay, I'll come up to Jeremiah 16. How many of you could say America's in a little bit of trouble right now? Take a nation this size and still rescue his kids in the process. 
You know, okay. His belt is not to save the nation. His belt is to save you. I hope you see that both. His goal is not the nation's preservation. His goal is his name and you. If the nation comes into alignment, we'll be okay as a nation. But if they don't, what do you think is going to happen? Well, please keep just the rebel on there. Well, please keep just like Jesus in the family. It's still a nation. They have never been the world power that we were before Pharaoh was confronted by a prophet saying, let my people go. Don't look to your government to rescue you in the past. You realize that when the Israelites left Egypt, they had all the gold of Egypt. But they didn't take it into the promised land and build a new economy with it. And they went into idolatry with it. I mean, you heard prophecies about massive transfer of wealth coming. Not if it comes, and you've got to ask for one big offering. You've got to start thinking like that all the things. You see, he understood that even without the world, he could treat them, he could burn them, he could take care of them, and he himself could give them well. You don't think that way. You don't know how to separate our total and our lives from our spiritual, so they don't go off and come in and endorse what we're doing and say, that's the end of what he's doing. So I believe we're going to have a human economy. I absolutely believe that. So don't, miss, don't get me wrong. I do believe we're going to have vast amounts of wealth in the higher classes we've had before. But you never understand what's going to be because there's a verse in Job that says, if you consider your gold as the rock, then I will be your gold. And I would rather have him as my gold than another game on my finger at least like this one. Except if it's of a wedding band. You know. If it was silver, it would still be a wedding band. If it was a cigar wrapper, it would still be a wedding band to me. I don't care what it is, I care about my wife. You've got to have that attitude towards the things that are in this world. It's not that I despise them or that I don't want them or that I won't use them, but if you're in my hands, I'm going to really build the kingdom of God into your mind. And if God says I want it back, I'm not going to hesitate in that because He is my only desire. He is my only love. He is the only passion in my life. He is the only thing that I live for. If I have an abundance, I worship Him. If I'm not out, I don't think He's any more of a God. If I have found this place where I am not content with the Lord and not in whatsoever state I am. But in my childhood, I didn't understand how Paul could say that. And I have found that place. Because he's the one that gets up with me in the morning before the day's over, whatever I need that day, he's the one that has to supply And so when, when there's an abundance there, I don't want to take my eyes off of him. And that's what happens to most men, and God knows that. And so a lot of the shaking going on right now is not about the transfer of wealth. A lot of the shaking going on right now is about your heart and my heart. He's bringing us to the place of testing so we can really know that when he does what he's promised, we're not going to mess it up and make another cast in the desert. 
right now there's a lot of people in the art that have had, that have real, God-given, accurate, prophetic words that they're holding on to that they don't fully know in their own heart whether things will be true or not. And God looks down and he understands the heart and we understand ourselves and he's shaking us to the core right now. He's saying, can you come to this place in America where you can let me be your God? And that's where you started. And we've thrown them out of our bedroom, we've thrown them out of our school, we've thrown them out of our household, we've thrown them out of our day-to-day conversations, we've thrown them out of our courts. You think he's sitting in heaven saying, how do you want me to respond to that? You know, you want me to bless you with more? And you're saying all over the nation you don't want me anymore? Or do you want to come back to what your forefathers prayed and I'm going to answer their prayers and I'm going to convince you that you still need me? Uh, please understand that the way God thinks about things on a global scale sometimes is not in accordance with our prayers. And I want you just to think about that as you look at your own situation. In Jeremiah, it is clear God is about to change the nation in a massive way. And you can read Jeremiah starting uh, in the first person, excuse me. But I want you to go down to um, Verse 14. Therefore, behold, the days will come, says the Lord. But it shall no more be said, The Lord who lives, who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt. But it will now be said, The Lord lives, who brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north, and from all the land where he has given them. And kept that little part where he has given them. For I will bring them back into their land as I gave to their fathers. And what he's saying is that uh, all of you remember a story that your granddaddy told you about coming out of Egypt. And that probably every Sabbath comes out of Egypt. The biggest thing that most of you that are alive today can remember that I did. But I'm going to give you a new thing to say. Of course, it's not going to be very pleasing. It's going to be go away. Get out of this land. Go where you don't want to go. Experience what you don't want to experience. You're going to taste the things that you wouldn't pray for. And then I'm going to bring you back. When he brings them back, what are they? What are they? They're different. Why did they get thrown out? Not because he was throwing them away from himself. Because they had defiled the land that he had given them. And it was his land. And they did not know how to separate what was precious with with the living God from what was defiled with idolatry. So they would come to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and on the day before they would go to an altar and a jail. They They would pay for things. The economy and had a face of veil on it. You came to the worship. You are our God. You are the Most High. You are the one that we love. And when your whole economy rests on something like that, how do you separate yourself from that? 
If you want to eat and buy groceries, how do you separate yourself from that? You got a dollar bill in your pocket. Every one of you put a dollar in the pocket of trust. You're not talking about the same God that you and I believe in. So how do we separate ourselves from that? It's just an idolatrous on that thing. I'm not saying that you got to throw away. I'm saying the nation has to make a change. The whole nation has to make a change. You can't do that on yourself and, and, and live like you're living at the moment. So if God decides that's enough, I'm going to fix that. It's a national case. We just can't have to endure some things until he's done it. Right? And in the meantime, what did they go out with? One thing he had promised them, I will never leave you or forsake you. So if he's throwing them out of the land, he's also going with them. We're going to shake some other nations for a while, and this would be uncomfortable. But I promise you, I'm going to bring you back to this part that I've given to your forefathers. I'm telling you, I don't want this to look like America, and I'm not saying we're all going to get thrown out of here. I don't know if that's true like that. I tell you, God remembers the prayers of the righteous that were prayed before this was a nation. And He's going to bring us back to those things. Now, this is not a passage about the U.S. and this is about you. But in the process, there are you and I. We're in a precarious moment. I want you to comprehend every one of us that are alive and well and planet Earth at this moment in America and in other nations with Lord Satan. We're in almost the exact same spot in this scripture I just read. God is fed up with the way the Earth is running, telling someone that it's under him when it's really not. And he's going to test us until he has it. And he's going to bring the whole earth to this place very possibly in our lifetime where every knee bows and every tongue confesses that he is Lord. And we say that statement, but don't you understand what that means for him to get that? It means nations are going to exist. It means people groups are going to have death and revival and others are going to have blood. It means absolutely everything that will come to the is going to be disrupted. But he is going to be king of kings and lord of lords of everyone who will give him what he created them to give him. He doesn't want to force it from him. He wants to reveal himself to have that. He needs to do that. So when you look at this scripture, you cannot read Jeremiah 15 and say, man, this is bad. And stealthily, you have to see the provision God provides in every act of judgment, in every act of correction, in every moment that He's going after what He wants. He provides for something wonderful in it, even though it may be difficult for a short season. You cannot separate that or you won't know Him. You'll get, get troubled, you'll get discouraged, you'll lose hope. You must remember that you have a good, wonderful Father who loves you. And His goodness cannot be separated from who He is. His mercy endures forever. Even in the severest of judgment, He'll stick to judgment. And before He's done with His sentence, He'll turn around and remember mercy. But we don't understand judgment and mercy very well. They're not in our lives because we think God's supposed to do everything good in our lives and everything bad is the devil. But see, that is the normal mentality in Christianity today. The devil gives. 
And over and over in scriptures, there's a lot of things that are really hard to swallow if they were happening in my day. And he doesn't say the devil gives up Israel, so God did this. You don't read this stuff the way it's really written. So it's difficult for some people that are part of my to understand that God might allow a hurricane. That God might allow a tornado. We just had a tornado in Oklahoma a few days ago. I've lived through one of the worst ones that has ever come to this case. And the difficult thing about it is 48 people died. So 44 people died. But the massive genius about it is it should have been 48,000. It wrecked homes in a way at least fair miles wide and about 30 miles long. It wrecked houses and buildings that should have been a third of the city dead. And so it's hard to look at something like that and say, God is behind that. But you know what was interesting about it? In the neighborhood, the homes were still standing, and almost every church in its path was taken right down to the foundation. Except for one, one church had the walls blown out, the roof disappeared, and never found it. But every seat was still in place, and the pulpit, which is this little dinky little pulpit, was still standing in its spot. And they had service to this day. And the guy preached on the church without walls. He didn't like that message until he experienced it. <laughs> He's a friend of mine, he's a grown man, he's a cool guy, he's a black American, mostly not the American church. But here they are going, we thought we needed a building. Well, and suddenly, we're still having church, we're still here. And then we pondered, how did this happen? Why are the chairs still here? How is that physically possible? You know, how, how, how can a pulpit that a chip can pick up and toss still there and survive 300 plus mile per hour wind? I'm going to show a sign in a hundred of this thing. And so, you know, when he decides I need to tear my people back down to the foundation, just right now, kind of you know, remind himself that this is really about me. He can do it any way he wants. <laughs> he can get it done any way he wants. Uh, when you look at this passage, that's pretty much the gist of it up to this point. And then God says this fascinating thing. In verse 16, he says, Behold, I will send for many fishermen, says the Lord, and they shall fish them. And afterward, I will send for many hunters, and they shall fish them from every mountain and every hill and out of the homes of the rocks. For my eyes are on all of the ways. They are not hidden from my face, nor is there iniquity hidden from my eyes. And first I'll be paid in double for their iniquity and their sin, because they have defiled my land. And have killed my inheritance with the carcasses of their detestable, abominable idols. I'm telling you that's America. It's not just America as a nation, because they don't know him, but it's the church in America today, for the most part. I'm comfortable, I'm not condemning you, but there's a lot of churches that don't know how to do church. 
We had uh, 700 pastors in Oklahoma City and other pastors, ministers, the majority of them are pastors. And I, I had never seen that Indian come in my lifetime. I was thinking, surely the Bible will come out. We can get on one page and we can do one chord and we're going to drop the thing now, you know. And then we don't have any good words that really do it after we haven't been able to have that many words that make sense. And what we did is we opened the microphone up just to get on the play. It wasn't about keeping the teaching on the conference. It was just to keep it that we must pray together and figure out what God wants to do in this city. We opened this, the, the microphone, this is an open mic, the construction was, you know, you have time to preach, you can only have time to pray, and when you can tell you're not praying anymore today. That's not easy for pastors, but it's pretty good. About 17, 18, came to the microphone, and they were weeping, and they were wailing, and they were really crying. It was, you know, a breakthrough and stuff. And just as the crying was the same, they were all the same thing. Over and over and over again, they were saying, Oh, Lord, we want you back in the house. We, we want your presence, Lord. Bring your glory back to the temple, O oh God. I mean, one after another, 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 one after passionately crying. Now, please fill your temple with your glory. Jesus, please come and inhabit the places of your people. They were saying, Lord, don't let us. Keep going on without you in the manifested presence way in the house. Pastor, minister, evangelist, teacher, apostles, prophets, whatever they were. God, I can now pray that we go on Lord. It was basically the, the same sentence again and again and again and again. And I was listening, and I, if I had been the first one praying, that's almost exactly the word for one that I would have prayed very passionately. And the Lord said these words to me. He said, Time. Thanks, Lord. What do you think about what they're crying? Well, it's something I hear from. Yeah. I really prophesied. Really? You know, they weren't standing up to the Lord. They were saying, Oh, Lord, God. He said, You really prophesied to me. I said, Oh, no, 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 I'm prophesying to the whole city, one after another, again and again, again that I'm not in the house. Otherwise, I would be asking me to leave. Found you some good, Lord. <laughs> Thought we were doing well here. I said, Lord, can I remind you that this is the first time in my lifetime that 700 ministers have come into the same room? <laughs> you know. I, I thought that was a miracle itself. I said, I'm not impressed with that. The question is, why am I not in my house when I swore how to be there? And he was back to talking to me immediately, and I thought, I'm arguing with the Lord. I don't know why I did it, but I did. I said, no, the, the, you know, your word says, you can't pay down together in my name, you'll be in the midst of them. How come you're not in the house? You're not fulfilling the word. He said, yes, I am. I said, no, you're not. I'll get his reason. You just said, you're not here. And we're asking you to come back. If you're not there and we're gathering in your name, every one of these pastors is going to say, this is your church. Where are you? Why aren't you fulfilling the word? He said, we're not gathering in my name. 
and heaven in our own eyes, and heaven in our own churches. In fact, if you ask them how many times, over and over and over again, you hear one pastor say, my church, my ministry, it's their son, it's theirs. And I don't mind it, I love them, I help them, but I'm not required to come into that. I may because I love my kids, but I'm not required. Because you have to understand, I can't stand it when I'm not with you. Why aren't they asking me this question? Instead of saying come back, why aren't they asking me how come you left? I don't know. You can get up there and say that. <laughs> you, you, you gotta understand this person is my nice deal. I, I didn't I wasn't the only person who helped organize this it was a group of us again. This was the culmination of about four years of work to get churches to come together. Lord, if I say that, I know it's going to happen. I mean, it's like, you can come in, you can die, you might as well just keep me out. <laughs> no. <laughs> so I got to find that. And the brain stopped. The drawing stopped. The weeping stopped. And everybody kind of looked at me with glazed lips over their face. And then the Lord followed up these words. He said, If you know in your spirit, and I'm not in the house, otherwise you wouldn't be crying out to me to come back. If you know that, which you do, you know in your spirit I'm not there to be the thing that you brought me to be. And what did you do last Sunday without me? And what you already have for the next Sunday, and I'm not going to be able to. And then I sat there waiting for the stones. Well, he believed that I'm in the pocket for him to see what happens, you know. And then he took the guys and got really mad. Well, I said, no, I'm mad, you know. And there were some others that humbled themselves and said, Now, this is serious. This is going a different direction than we thought. We thought we could just come together and, you know, organize unity. And we can't even get to unity when we don't have him. You know, what are we going to unify around? Your doctrine? Your, your way of doing it? Well, my way of doing it, this one's better, I don't know. My church is 2,900 years old, that's the only thing. Instead of Jesus, where do you at? How do you want to get here? And so I want to take you from this spot now. I don't want to take you too long, but I want to take you more quickly from this spot. I want you to understand something. When Jesus prophesied this to Jeremiah, fishing and hunting are not mentioned again in scriptures until Matthew. Quite a number of years ago. You don't see God mentioning fishing for a long time. After Jeremiah prophesied that. And Babylon came in and ruled for quite a while. 
And you all know the story of Nehemiah. They had to go through this down cycle. And then they finally rebuilt the wall. And then generations later, they began to rebuild the temple. And there was the restoration. And there was a lot of years in there. And then suddenly, Jesus shows up on the Sea of Galilee and says to two guys in a boat, Come and follow me, and I will make you teachers of men. And that was the, 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 the Jeremiah hit the pause button, and Jesus hit the play button, and said it's time to fish. And I want you to understand God's like that, because sometimes he starts something in one generation, and then he picks it up in the next generation, and we're like, saying, well, what is he doing? I don't get it, because we didn't do it back then. We don't understand that he fulfills everything that he said. But sometimes I think Jeremiah probably kept the fishing pole around his whole life, just waiting for the fulfillment of his prophetic work. Saying, Jesus, can I fish yet? No. Lord, you said, yes. But, yes. And sometimes we get prophecy. We listen to it, we hear it, we learn from the Lord, and we immediately plan how we're going to do it the way we want it to happen. And I can comprehend everything that I hope it's going to I believe that we come to this place where we give us massive acceleration in prophetic. It used to take hundreds of years, sometimes a thousand years for prophetic to come to pass. Now we're coming into a season where prophets are speaking in the next week of doing it. Sometimes even the next hour. And so it is time to fish. But you know what you understand? From the end of Scripture, he said, I will first send feeding fishermen, and they will fish them. And after that, I will send for hunters, and they will hunt them from every nicky thing. And I want to tell you something. This year, 2009, somewhere in this season, not in the sense that we understand a day and an hour, but somewhere in this season, Daddy God stood up on his throne and said, it's time to hunt. I'm standing before you, I believe it's the one of the Lord saying, if you will listen at this hour, your father is about to take you by the hand like a little child and say, let's go hunt. I'm going to show you how I do things. Now, what do they hunt? If, if you understand what happened in fishing, for about 2,000 years, the church has been fishing. Evangelism has been done in the body of Christ from a fishing perspective. Did you get that? I have to evangelism has really been fishing for the lost. So what's the difference in fishing and hunting? Well, for one thing, here's just some natural things. This isn't for me. This is from a big game hunting that I have to even know and a guy that knows how to catch people fishing. I never caught. I asked him that question. What's the difference in fishing and hunting? He said, when you fish with tools and you hunt with weapons. So, okay. So, if you put hands on them, I don't want to kill them. You know, I want to. You know, I don't want to go and eat on them, take off your head and say, you know, oh God, I'm trying to tell you how to get papers. <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> you know, do you want to get saved or not? It's not work. 
reason why we have the right to bear arms is not used. This is magic. I mean, this is passive. You're actually saying, in my day, I'm the fish. What Jesus is saying. And we're still fishing. I know that's been in my life. And now you're telling me that now you're standing in front of you, and he was standing in front of Andrew, and you're going to say, huh? I don't know how to hunt. I don't know how to hunt. I don't even know what you do to hunt. going about seeking whom you may desire. Would you call that a hunt? You seeking who he may desire. That's not that he is a lion. He says he doesn't like one. He knows something about the nature of God, about the one that is the lion from the side of Judah. He knows how to hunt, and he's copied Jesus' tactics to devour instead of to set. He doesn't have any, you know, uh, apostolic plans. He doesn't have any first fruit ideas. Everything that he knows how to do, he learns from heaven. He learned from the So anytime he's got good at something, and I'd say he's been pretty good at keeping around looking for somebody to power, he's understood something about hunting about a Christ hasn't. But then I have to ask the little question. I said, okay, again, let's say yes. Only it isn't here you you know, if, if it's the bow and arrow in my closet or if it's the, you know, something in my life where they don't have to a boat, it belongs to you now, Jesus. Let's go hunt. And the Lord said to me, uh, I'm not hunting the selfishness. I'm hunting for my bride. I went, what? He said, I, if I no longer am going to allow the church to just get me saved and don't. I'm after my bride. I'm after full-blown maturity. Ready for me. I want to do something in your day that will take you from the baby of the Lord and in a short period to the bedroom with me. I don't want people to get away with carnality anymore after they've known me for 20 years. Let's stop this year. I'm going to clean up my body and then the ones that I've saved in this year and the years to come, they are not going to have the excuses that you have and other work you have. I will not let them get away with their past and walking away from the things that they're going to walk away with and hanging on to what they want to hang on to and be planning that they know me. Either you don't be and you're all in or you're all out. Either you say, I do, or you can work from the other way. But if they say, I do, I'm going to make them like me. I'm going to take them into my presence. It's time not to just say, I do, and really way in the life of wedding, because you're going into the cloud when I change you into my likeness. Well, okay, Lord, I, this is serious. I, I want that. I don't believe that. Whatever that is, I want that. I'm not sure I still I do to you, Lord. I'd like to say I have. Or have I? 
So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled on all he had, please put your hand under my thigh. And he got understand that Abraham said that to the guy, and I didn't know what was about to happen. But that was a custom that you did when you were about to swear an oath. If your master told you to put your hand under his thigh, he already knew the guy was faithful and loyal because he had been looking his whole life. But something major needs to happen, and this is a legal contract act. It's the same as if you were standing in court and held up your right hand and said, You said, I'm going to cause you to say something, and I'm going to hold you into accountable in heaven to fulfill what I'm about to tell you to do. Not accountable to me as a master, accountable to God for not being able to say, and so the guy put his hands up in his hand. This doesn't add to that I want you. He didn't know what the next statement was going to be. But what I'd like you to do is if you're pressing with me right here, I'd like you to take your right hand and I'd like you to stick it into your thigh. You don't know what I'm going to tell you. But you know I'm going to know. I mean, you say that you're called the house. Well, Father God is now in both. His man is now in the room. And there's nothing staring at us. Are you all right with it? I don't want to you. don't want to You don't want to be the servant. If you don't want to be a son in the house anymore, you can leave now. The meeting's specifically over. But if you want to be a hunter, you've got to keep your hand on your phone on it. Okay. I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife of my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, 
among whom I dwell. And you will go from my country and from my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said, What if the woman is not willing to go back to this land? Will I take your son back there from which you came? And he said, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The God of heaven. He took me from my father's house and from the land of my family, and he spoke to me and swore to me, saying to the king, that give this land. He will know every famous hunter. He will send his angel ahead of you and give you this success. You should take a wife and my son from him. Okay, now this is a really bad because I realize that this is going to all be up to me. You know, I'm, I'm just concerned about can make mistakes. I, I, I wouldn't have asked him to ask this one. Abraham, basically saying in Hebrew, the same angel that appeared to me and made covenant with me is going to go ahead of you to make sure you bring back the right wife to my son. You understand that? What was the angel? Who was the angel that appeared to Abraham? I heard you whisper it. Do you really believe it was? He can only believe it fully understands heaven. Because he never spoke it deliberately. But you comprehend with me that as a hunter being commissioned, your oath is swearing an oath to God, that his swearing covenant to you, and I'm going to get ahead of you, and I'm going to give you good success in what I'm about to do. You're going to learn to evangelize, you're going to learn to hunt, because the earth is not seen yet, because you have not seen my presence going to do it ahead of you. You see my presence follow as the people bow to me. You do not see me invade nations, you do not see me invade buildings, you do not see me invade marketplaces, you have not seen me bring the power of heaven ahead of you and then introduce you as a brother to the chief of me. You get the difference? Oh, this little angel wasn't just a little class angel from heaven on the mirror. He's the only one that fully knew how to shape the nation to get the right life. And it's interesting that Aaron goes on quite a journey and some circumstances are really interesting. I'll let you know if you can read it yourself. But when he walks out to Egypt, he actually says, he prays when he's coming into the land. He says, Lord, I don't know how to do this thing. Could you please cause the one that you're looking for to come to this certain well and ask me if she can get water to my camels? And if she does that, and I'm going to ask her a question. If she answers it this way, I'm going to put the gold on her wrist. I'm going to put the things that just for my master on her. And I'm going to decree unto her that she's been chosen by the living God to marry a man she's never seen. If you, because you're God, are going to put it in her heart to say, yes, I do. And then you also find to be a young maiden, a beautiful lady, and probably lots of people in town would like to marry her, and her father's probably been protecting her. You're going to have to go into her house, and you're going to have to convince her mother, her father, her brothers, her sisters, everyone in the family, all the grandmas and grandmas and, and, and granddads and aunts and uncles that would like to have a wedding in their house. You're going to have to convince them to let her go with a stranger that they've never met before, 
The land that they don't even know anything about. The alien guy that he's ever seen. You're somehow just because you're going to get your I'm paraphrased. But how many of you are not young ones that have entertained a stranger at a well who wanted to get a lot of his camel as the moment of your life that was about to introduce you to your husband? That's how she's decided to be. <laughs> in that moment, there's something spiritual happening. The power of God is at work. He orchestrates his perfect model. And he made it absolutely impossible for his son to miss. The right woman, the right son. You get? Is he called that son a hunter? He's the first hunter in this history. He's prophetically living out something. This is what's interesting about this. You see all that for real in Genesis. And then. Hundreds and hundreds of years later, he called Jeremiah to prophesy that that servant had already done. So the guy was acting prophetically, not just acting obediently. And then when the prophetic word of God comes in and says, I'm going to call for hunting, another 2,000 years go by. And now God is saying, I'm not on my service. I'm not on my service. I'm not on my service. I'm not going to do anything I need to do. One of the ones that are really going where I see them and tell you whatever I tell them to say and do whatever I need done because they've got to bring something back from me. That's you and I if we're willing to say that. Here's what I want you to understand. There is another possibility. Oh, I need to see Matthew so I can read this one. But in Matthew. Uh, chapter 13, you can read that passage and you can discover scriptures talking about Jesus himself talking about the angels coming at the end of the age to hearts. Now, remember that? Remember that passage? I kind of speed up a little bit for you take too much time. You can read the whole passage yourself. But we are the laborers, according to our Lord's words, and the angels are the harvesters. But we've not figured out how to do with evangelism there, though. We've not figured out how to do our labor and get fruit that only the angels can help give. So we've evangelized the carnal methods to do something holy, change a lie. And God's about to condition his body as hunters and assign angels to the earth and see that he himself to come and reap the earth as he's ready for his life. And you have to understand that this is absolutely supernatural operation every time you go out. It's not I'm going to go out and, you know, look around and, you know, you walk on a hundred doors and only one person answered and he was looking to Jesus and he was so worried at the end of the day he could the disciples. You know, it's time for something that's so connected with heaven to 
mind, his power, his message, his way of doing it, his revealing of himself, and understanding that they really know what they know what they know that God is good. And we approach a person who is lost and without hope and doesn't know what's going on in the world, and they see how the angels have set up this circumstance for them. The first thing they realize is God knows my name. God's after me. He's already after me. You see, he did all of this just to say to me, he wants me to be connected to him. Most of them would have got saved a long time ago, but they don't think to do that for God. And here God is shaking them down in a way that they cannot deny his doing. All right. I want you to consider that Jesus actually did this. He commissioned fishermen, but because he's without time or space, and he was actually on the earth, he was fishing and hunting. There's only one hunter that I found that very clearly in the scriptures, and that's Saul, and he was Saul. I see verses after that coming out of Saul, and about breathing threatenings, and was hunting down all those that were out of the way to arrest them or kill them. And when he went out as a hunter to do something that was going to devour, to steal, to kill, to destroy what God was doing in the earth, Jesus interrupted it face to face. He said, Saul, Saul, what do you do? And what did Saul say at that moment? You know, he didn't say, oh, oh well, you know, I'm the, the you know, most holy do on the earth and I'm fulfilling what we're supposed to do and get everything. He said, Who are you, Lord? You see, when the voice of God comes face to face with man, then you know that's God. The problem is most men have not had that kind of encounter. And yet we expect them to be better than they are. Now, I want you to understand something about Paul, because he made a little statement that most people had trouble figuring out. Later, after he became saved, and he was full of the Holy Spirit, and he became out the star, he made a statement on his letter. He said, I'm like the one born out of due season. And most people assumed that he was that because of his apostolic case. I'm now at a place where I'm fully convinced from the Supreme Lord's me. And Paul said that because he realized he was a hunter. It wasn't quite time to hunt yet. It was still the season for fishing. Because what he was doing before he was saved, as soon as he was saved, he still had an anointing to hunt. And so he left his apostolic grace. He burst churches all over Asia, all over the Gentile world. And to this day, you have great difficulty finding one of the churches that Paul left. And you don't understand ministry that way because you think that once you start something, you start doing it, you continue forever. But there's something called first fruit that God always requires of apostles. They have to do something with their lives. And then using all the still alive, they have to watch all of their efforts come to the place of God, put the in the ground and make the fly. He does it on purpose because God knows once he has the first fruit, now he can reproduce it. And so there is an anointing for the apostolic 
that Paul had, and because he allowed his life to fall to the ground and die, because he said, I've done all that I'm supposed to do, and I finished well, and when he finished well, he still wrote a letter that very same year, all of the churches in Asia have abandoned me. He said to Timothy, please remember what is going on in your relationship with mine, because most of what I have done is falling apart, because the apostles are coming in, the bishops are coming up, and not doing it out of the way. The church is being captured by something carnal, and it is going to be wrecked. But when it's wet, hold on to what I say to you. Don't lose that part that was important to you. Because in that day, in his hour, what I have done in my life is not going to die. It's going to fall to the ground. It's going to look dead. So when God says, I'm ready for the bunkers, you're going to see an anointing of the sun, a rise in the earth. Suddenly, all of the earth is looking at the command. It will be attributed to the king. He's going to begin to do what we don't know how to do. So there'll be many men rise up to the morning for this, and so I don't know what he's saying, but I don't believe in being apostles. Don't misinterpret me. I'm saying there's an anointing for the church to birth, to build, to recognition that have been against him, to invade kingdoms with the gospel that have not known him, to cause entire cities to be saved, because the traditions to go to the and to write letters that really make sense because they're from him. If you remember, I'm going to see a Christian bookstore today. He's going to go out, and there's a book over here that says, do this. And there's a book right across the aisle that says, do the opposite. Where are, is the real doctrine that comes from the one that raises? Where is the opinion of my God in the book in the hour right now? That's what the earth is waiting to hear. And do you know Jesus know how to say it like he says it? I'm not correcting you. I'm not condemning you. I'm just saying, watch for this. There's something about what... All you said had to do is connect with the anointing of the Now, here's what I think it's going to look like, and I'll close with this. A hunter has to, if you're writing notes about when I can things down, a hunter has to know that he's hunting. You can just throw your pole in the water, and whatever you bite, you can pull it out. But most hunters go hunting because they're wanting to hunt. And they have to know the territory of what they're hunting. Because they're going into the animal's territory. And that, say the lion, you're going into the domain of the lion. And he's a hunter also, but you're going to take him down and put him back in the ground. You've got to have some strategy. So you've got to have some wisdom, and you've got to know what you're doing. You can't just have a loaded gun and come back alive. So one of the things that's going to do, because you put your hands in there, is they're going to now release strategies. He's going to release wisdom from himself. He says, I want you to go over here. I want you to do this. When you go, I'm going to make it up to you what's going to happen. And I'm already over there hunting on you. I'm ahead of you. I'm doing something because my angels are sitting there ahead of you now. And you're going to walk in. I'm after this person. When he's 
after him. He's cheesing when I'm after him. She's cheesing when I'm after him. You're going to just leave my voice in this house and it's going to be so clear that I set this whole thing up that when that person gets saved, they're going to be the key to unlock keys. They're going to be the key to bring the whole system over to me. They're going to be the key to bring the whole business into my kingdom. They're going to be the key to cause the nation to change. They're going to be the ones that have the anointing to capture massive levels of society. I'm not after the kiosk. I'm after my bride. And when one goes from being a carnal person to being my bride, whatever I create the form is fully unlocked. I hope you can see what I just said. Because I'm talking about not shotgun evangelism. I'm talking about very strategically targeting. I'm going to capture somebody who again, by the anointing of God and by the relationship that they come into, are going to unlock massive things that we've not been able to do. Talking to one that can help like that, Jesus hunted her. And she brought the whole city to him. Wasn't the gathering and the demonized like that? Jesus believed him. Two weeks later, he shows up again in the whole region. Experienced such a massive revival, it is not even recorded how many. But it says everyone was saved, everyone was healed, every demon was cast out. The Gentiles, uh, the prophecy was, they will see a great light. So you don't understand these little individuals that are mentioned in Scripture with Jesus finding the catalyst that would give them a city, that would give them religion. And he knows, he knows who all of them are today. And he wasn't just interested in saving them. He was interested in saving the whole city. And he knew how to save them so he could get into the city. Because they brought either open door for him or they brought the whole city out to him. So evangelism has to have this place now with one of the strategic targets of one that he's after, understanding that once one is converted, you've got to be ready for a city. Now, there's another scripture in Acts, and I'm not going to read it, I just want you to hear it. And the early church was happy to know how to do church, and the big bear got out of the upper room. There's some amazing things that happen that we need and we go right past it and not talk about. Do you understand that there was a mass exodus from the synagogue and a mass explosion in the New Testament church? They sometimes do that when you read 5,000 people that say the other day, look at this and they forget that there were 5,000 people that would have gone to the synagogue that Sabbath. And they weren't necessarily just saved, they were turned away from something they would have done and into something God was now doing. And so we've got to comprehend that God is doing a new thing, what does He want to keep doing? I'm not telling you that I know what that is. I'm saying churches, we know it is about some radical shit. Radically shit. Uh, it's so radical, I think God is going to shift out of it. You don't really know that a thing is better or an hour of prayer is better at the moment. You know? Jesus, we don't understand what he likes because you don't know, not married to him. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
We're not nearly through him. We just came pretty hardy with the poor law. And some of us haven't even decided we want to be anywhere or not. We just like the gold on our hands and we like the ring on his hand and we like the fact that he paid for our meals. You know? When it comes down to that decision, he says, I'm going to marry you or I'm going to choose another one to do. I'm concerned about where our hearts are. Everybody has convinced themselves that they're there. When it comes down to what that really means, help me, Jesus. Come on. Keep your hand on your side for this moment and let's speak something. Lord says, His angel will now go ahead of you and give you good success. And I will make it impossible for you, says the Lord, to miss what I want in this hour. If you just cry out to me and keep your eyes on me, I'll meet you, I'll guide you, I'll show you, I'll answer you first. I'll make you see what I want. And when you see and you speak to me, I'll come back with you. So I give you now my gold. I give you my treasures. I give you my promise and my oath that the husband that I'm going to give to her is her desire. And when you see her, you put those things on her. And you tell her about my goodness. And you tell her about my son. And the desire of a woman is for her husband. That's how I made her in the garden. And I'm going to unlock the full meaning of that promise in your hour, in your day. And for yourself, it's too small of a thing for you to be called a servant any longer. And this day, God says, I will treat you like my sons and my daughters. And you too will marry my son. Lord, I just ask you now to come in as a master builder into this house. And I ask you to pull out your blueprints and put them on the table for all here to see. And I ask you to make them builders and characters. for the release of the kingdom of God. Send them and through them. I pray for every word you've ever spoke to them. Every thing you have purposed in your heart for each and every one of them. Individually, I say, I agree with Jesus. Do it in our day. And I ask you to remind yourself of the promises that you've made each one here. In Abraham's day, the servant did not get the inheritance, but he left the joy of the son. And he served the son the way he had served the father. 
And in our day, I pray that you will have no more servants. That you will have sons and daughters all over the earth. And I pray that we will learn to serve you as a good servant we, but we will not be a just servant. And so, Lord, with the inheritance, with you, we bow our knee to you and we say, how can we serve you? How can we wait on you? How can we minister to you? And as you put on the towel and wash your apostles' feet, we pray, show us how to put on the towel and wash the feet of those that don't yet know you. And prepare them to your birth. And I ask you, there's a sign in the world in this house. I pray for an anointing to heal marriages. And to heal relationships that are frazzled and broken. So that you have a godly place in every home. And I pray for this city, Lord, this little place in the earth. And the days ahead, you change its nature. Right now, it's known as Santa Monica. I pray in the days ahead, it would be known by your name. Where there's been resistance, where there's been hardship, where there has been a broken barrier to you. Lord, I pray to you now, as the Creator, as the Lord of the heaven and earth. We come like you did to Abraham to this city. We come like the angel of the Lord, that you would now have access to every home and every business. I pray one day in the past, you went over every threshold of Egypt. You see an angel of death to take the firstborn. I pray in Santa Monica, you come as the angel of life. And you pass on the threshold of every household, of every business, of every entity that has a name and a place here. And I pray that you would redeem yourself and ask you not just to bring back the firstborn, but bring the whole house into your kingdom. And cause this city, O Lord, can it be said in our day that a whole city has been saved? I ask you, O God, I call in my heart. Give this truth and others like them. Give them this city, Jesus. Give them this city as we deserve. And let the one man want to be found, be able to be found here, that he's not standing face to face, and he's not experienced your wonderful goodness, and he's not said, I do to you. Somehow, Lord, I believe it's possible. But we can't do that without the manifest presence of you. But I pray, oh God, give him off of your throne and come down among us. And get in front of us. And make a way to do what you said you wanted to do with your own arms. Contend with this city on behalf of your son. 